Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. There's been some sad news in the beauty industry this week, and that is the untimely passing of Brandon Truax. He was the founder of Decium and most famously The Ordinary, and he was 40 years old. We wanted to re-release this episode with Brandon Truax because he was at the top of his game when we interviewed him in January of 2018. The Ordinary was buzzing. Everyone was asking us about it. It was front page news, really. And there's just been such a huge outpouring of support mm -hmm. for Brandon. He really connected with all of his fans. And I think because he just put transparency above everything else, mm -hmm. he was a true pioneer in mm -hmm. this space, offering something that had never been offered before with The Ordinary. And I think in the spirit of that commitment to transparency, people really felt like they knew him. Yeah. And so I think that hearing this backstory, it would even give you a bigger window into how his mind worked. You know, there was humor. Yeah. He was very cheeky. Yeah. I know you guys bonded over a birthday. Yeah, we were, we were saying how we're both Geminis and it was the best sign ever. And he even had had a little cheeky uh, take on the Canadian media that mm -hmm. we uh, we revisited. That's right. And I think you'll also hear that his mind has no bounds. Like he just felt that anything was possible. And I think that's why he was able to achieve what no other beauty founder had achieved before him. And so we wanted to revisit that conversation. It was just you and I and Brandon and a microphone. Mm -hmm. And we just felt like it was very special. I know that you and I, Carlene, will always remember Brandon mm -hmm. fondly and certainly treasure this conversation that we had with him. And we hope that you all will as well. So thank you for listening. Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the best-selling beauty products and the damn good stories behind them. We're your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Jill Dunn. Happy New Year, Jill. Happy New Year, listeners. This is so exciting. Um, we're kicking off our second year of Breaking Beauty. I love it. I know. And we have an incredible founder that we're talking to today. And I think right behind Glossier, this was our most requested interview. Definitely. This is by popular demand, yes. for sure. Today, we're talking to Brandon Truax, the founder of DCM, which is known as the Abnormal Beauty Company. That's their tagline. So this Toronto-based brand, it found early success in the UK. It's a bigger umbrella. There's 11 brands under Decium. So there's Hylamide, there is Neod, there is Hand Chemistry. Most notoriously, perhaps, yeah. The Ordinary. Which launched just in um, 2016. Yeah. And there are three more lines in the works. So basically, this this brand, Decium, makes no sense. <laughs> it is one parent brand that has like all of these spinoffs um, that do different things and some of them overlap. In Brandon's mind, he can very clearly tell you the difference between Hylamide and Neod and The mm -hmm. Ordinary. To me, I'm just like, my eyes are crossed. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what I think because it is popping off. That's for sure. Before we go any further, I just want to clarify WTF, what the fuck The Ordinary is all about, because there's so much confusion around it. Everyone's excited about it, but nobody 
really knows what it is or mm-hmm. knows exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. So The Ordinary is the one brand that's achieved a cult status under Decium. And within this brand, there are 38 skincare SKUs from serums to moisturizers to exfoliators, plus 42 shades of their serum and coverage foundations. And that's just to start. Mm-hmm. Since its launch last year, like we mentioned, they've sold close to 9 million units of product. And that upward trajectory is about to skyrocket since they've just launched into Sephora. And we're, we're going to have some more scoop on that later. Preach. Um, at its core, The Ordinary is really anti-establishment. And I love that. It's like the punk rocker badass bitch of the beauty industry. Um, and the hype is all because they offer these active ingredients in, you know, basic but beautiful packaging. I'm not going to go as far to say no frills. It's really nicely designed. Um, and there are super affordable prices, like dirt cheap prices. Yeah, most of them are like less yeah. than 10 bucks. Yeah. They cover some of the tried and true um, ingredients, the gold standard ingredients that have become, you know, the stars of skincare. So retinoids and lactic acid, glycolic acid, salicylic. The idea is that the consumer actually builds their own skincare routine That's by right. adding um, these products together and, you know, creating a regimen of their own. So it's kind of, I guess in a way, it is putting a lot of faith in the consumer. Yes, There's an assumption. Or, or a power into the exactly. consumer's Exactly. It does empower them and it assumes a certain amount of knowledge. Okay, so you guys probably want to know a little bit about what we've tried. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at their regimen guide right now. It's kind of like reading the periodic table, I'm not going to lie. So I really liked the Ordinary Vitamin C Suspension 23% plus H.A. Spheres, 2%. Is that its name? It is. That's ridiculous. (laughs) So it's $5.80. And if you're not used to really active ingredients, it will sting a little bit, Okay. which I love. The more it stings, (laughs) the better. I love it. Um, I'd start by using it only once a week if you're not, if you want to tiptoe into it. Mm -hmm. It's a cream formula, but it feels a little grainy in texture when you massage it onto the skin. And the reason for that is that it's a vitamin C in powder form, suspended. Mm -hmm inside the cream. Right. Because it's so, it's notorious. It's a fickle ingredient, isn't it? Yeah. Um, We know as beauty editors and a lot of people and consumers know this as well, vitamin C is an incredible antioxidant. It's great for brightening, but it is finicky. Yeah. In my case, it fast forwards the healing of acne scars because I'm still breaking out, even though I'm not a teenager. Mm -hmm. Womp womp. You know, a lot of people can feel my pain, but vitamin C is often hard to formulate. It destabilizes quickly. Like you mentioned, it's fickle. Mm -hmm. Um, Once it's exposed to air, it kind of loses its potency. Mm -hmm. So this powder formula means you get all of that potency, plus it has hyaluronic acid in the formula too. So it's plumping and smoothing. No wonder it's always sold out. Mm -hmm. And if you prefer to have a not gritty sort of feel, they have a vitamin C suspension in silicone too. Mm -hmm. Hot tip. And another hot tip is that if you look at the coming soon portion of the Ordinary's website, they're launching by popular demand a 100% vitamin C powder. So People are loving this. I've been using the hyaluronic acid. So here's a little more Skincare 101. Hyaluronic acid kind of steals moisture from the air and holds a thousand times its weight in water. Plumpness, which let's get real, we need that. But normally we talk about one bestseller. That's what we love to do in this podcast. But with The Ordinary, it's actually... 10 of these that are like a runaway success. Mm -hmm. People can try a lot of different things and really customize for their own skin. Yeah, and I guess if there's one criticism, and even Caroline Hyren said that this herself, is that it, it is not that user-friendly. That is something that will be improved upon, and we're going to hear some scoop on that toward the end of the episode. If you're looking for a quick answer right now, Wayne Goss of Beautylish has an excellent article on there. If you're looking for a quick answer right now, Wayne Goss, who's a YouTuber, wrote a piece for Beautylish that basically will tell you what to use for your skin type. He basically doesn't believe in customers getting hosed. He's all about function over fluff when it comes to the products. Yeah. So you don't see big campaigns with, you know, big faces. Um, They're not really pushing the influencer thing that hard. They're really looking for word of mouth. And Brandon would say that's how it's really taken off. What I'm personally really fascinated by, though, is Brandon himself. I mean, I just think he is such an intriguing person um, and personality. You know, I love a line that I read in one of his interviews. He's like, 
treat everything with kindness and peace, something like that. But if you're going to go blow up, go nuclear. <laughs> and that is him. Insiders are intrigued by him. Yes. They're just like, what and is baffled. going on? Either he's a total genius or he's completely from outer space. For Brandon, he has a fundamental need to kind of analyze, speak what he believes to be the truth, and express it. And he expresses those things pretty bluntly sometimes. So we really just wanted to know where all of this was coming from. And what you'll discover in listening to the episode is how that thirst for knowledge and truth came to form a line of skincare. We begin the origin tale with Brandon sharing with us where he considers home and reaching way back, Brandon shares with us an intimate detail about his childhood. Toronto has been home most of the, uh, you know, most of my life. But uh, I lived in Vancouver for a couple of years, Indonesia for a year, uh, where I ran away from everything to just <laughs> kind of backpack and learn about life. Um, in the UK for a, a couple of years, actually three years, Cyprus for about a year. Uh, but Toronto, I mean, in a way, Toronto has always been home. It's yeah. it's it's home. It's a cold home right now, but it's home. <laughs> My, my family sort of had a lot of medical problems in the beginning, and so I was adopted by a very close friend's family, and then um, parts of that family didn't want to adopt me, parts of it did, and the parts that did also ended up having medical problems. So it was a bit dysfunctional overall, but actually, I mean, I was blessed to have the support of obviously a lot of people to, to help me get through it. So I was always, you know, I, what always fascinated me when I was 10, 12 years old was just how tiny our planet is with respect to, you know, you hear about the sun so much bigger, and then... There was another star that was 40 million times bigger, another one that's 40 billion times bigger. And then that's only just in one little galaxy of which were many. Uh, I ended up studying computer science, actually, which um, sort of became, uh, I don't know how, it just, you know, the logic of it became really interesting to me because it's in a, you know, the world is very imperfect. In fact, everything in the world is kind of just, the perfection of the world is the fact that everything is very imperfect and nothing is in your control. In the world of computers, it was really beautiful because it was a perfect world. It, it was a fabricated world, but you could actually devise anything and it would always do, you know, what you told it to. It's never the computer's fault. It's always what you told it. And it just really uh, was beautiful. So I got into it, was a computer geek basically for most of my life up until beauty, really. We asked Brandon when his birthday is. So it's June 19th. It's close to mine. I'm May 25th and he's turning 40. So you're both Gemini's? Yes. Wow, and 40, year of reflection. I know. Um, he brought up the topic of horoscope, mm -hmm. um, which got me curious. So I consulted my favorite astrologer, Susan Miller, her site, not her personally. I wish I had her on speed dial. So I'm going to read a little passage about... This is Astrology Zone. I think a lot of people will be familiar with it. Mm -hmm. And this first bit, she's talking about air signs in general. Air signs are all about the movement and communication of ideas. These are the most intellectual of the signs. Restless and curious, air signs continually hunger for new ideas to chew on, and they need lots of stimulation. Sound familiar, Jill? <laughs> <laughs> they are rational, versatile, verbal, quick, and alert. They know, and they talk fast. Let's they add that. They talk really, really fast. They know that they can charm their way out of anything and are resourceful enough to make good things come from difficult situations. Gregarious and social, they love to collect information, study it objectively, and then disseminate it to everyone else. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. All of that is very, very true, and we, and I think Brandon and I sort of bonded over that. Let's hear what Brandon has to say on the topic. I just couldn't really believe how anybody could not be a Gemini, only because in a way, um, uh, you know, the mind has so many angles, and, and, and as much as it seems like, you know, you're so many different people— I actually feel that Geminis are, are really the most honest people because they're basically just say what they think at any given point and it just happens to be the you know, dimension of their mind. If you follow the Instagram account for Dusty M, you'll see that they definitely have a sense of humor. And word on the street is that Brandon is the voice behind all the social media posts. So it's a mix of humor and being just very blunt yeah. that has become the backbone of this brand. That bluntness is definitely inherent mm -hmm. in Brandon's personality. And up next, Brandon tells us about his very first job. 
when I was in uh, last year of high school, I had a job at, uh, it was called Famous Players back then, it was now Cineplex, um, where I basically said, look, I, I'm happy to do anything, just, just and, and look, we're all equal. This is what I told in the interview. We're all equal, there's nothing about it. I, I just, I, I can't clean toilets, so I'm happy to do the tickets. And, and, and one day, maybe to clean the toilets, and I said, look, I genuinely just, it makes me feel really miserable. I, I don't want to do it. I, I don't think the person doing it should be forced to do it either. I just really can't do it. And so they forced me, and I, well, not forced me, they basically said I would lose my job. So I grabbed this bucket of all this foaming material, <laughs> poured it everywhere in the room, and started basically spraying water. It's just basically the whole bathroom turned to a foam, and I left. Because if you're going to quit, you might as well just make, it, make a point about it. So Brandon was bucket flipping before bat flipping was even a thing. Look at you dropping <laughs> the Blue Jays knowledge. It's um, all for my husband, Kevin. Shout out. Aw. Brandon would go on to study computer programming at the University of Waterloo. That's here in Ontario. And it's a real hotbed of like innovation and tech. And his next job would be a series of co-op placements working as a computer scientist. His second placement, working at a large cosmetics company in New York City, would prove extremely formative for Brandon. It was a team of four of us, and, and we were building a software system that would um, look at the kind of regulatory requirements or chemical interactions of all the chemicals that are used in the formula. That I just didn't understand why something that may cost so little can, be, can cost so much to, to, you know, to buy, and then vice versa, something that costs much more would actually end up selling for less in the same group of products. So a cleanser that may cost $5 was only $30, but in the same group, a cream that might be $2 is like $200. It didn't make any sense to me. What really made sense to me is that the consumers, which I actually largely blame for this whole phenomenon, um, has just been brainwashed in that they don't even really want to listen. They don't even want to understand what it is. It's just you're, 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 you're not even selling a hope or a dream. You're just simply paying to be further brainwashed because it, it's not even about finding a truth or not lying or nobody says anything and nobody expects to hear anything. And, and then this brand value of what, what makes something expensive. Um, and then, you know, and the rest became <laughs> many painful years of history. <laughs> it's funny. Emily Weiss, who we also interviewed for our podcast, she was very inspired and motivated by this discovery as well, that marketing is really king. Right. And of course, you know, Glossy was all about stripping it all back. Before Brandon would make his mark on the history of cosmetics, he started a business developing a software tool in the field of automotive financing. He still didn't have any intention of getting into the beauty business, but Destiny delivered to him a chemist who had $50,000 to invest and an equal amount of frustration. And with that in common, they decided to start a beauty biz. That business was a luxury skincare line called Yuoko, which I actually remember very well. It was really streamlined packaging, sort of frosted square jars, if I remember correctly. Very clean, kind of skin Icelandic in aesthetic, I would say. Yeah, and to just give you a bit of chronology, I believe that was about 2006. Yeah, timeline. 2006, 2006. And they were from, yeah. I think, Vancouver. So you might be surprised to learn that the prices weren't low like the ordinary. The idea would come much later. For Brandon, it was more about finding the best, most effective ingredients without regard to cost, and then using real cost accounting to set the price. Yeah, well, they some of them were like 50-something dollars, okay. and other, others would could go up to like 500. The cost of certain things was a lot more, as he yeah. explains it, mm -hmm. certain peptides, certain um, technologies. So as a result, they cost more. You may also be surprised to hear that despite the ordinary's super inexpensive prices, Brandon is still adamant that these products are, in fact, luxury, that price does not define luxury. If you look at the ordinary um, on, on Instagram, you'll never find it beside an Olay product. You'll find it beside Chanel and Aesop. There, 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 see, there is nothing more... Um, there's nothing luxurious about being taken for, for an idiot. And that's really the problem. The problem is that you can't... So so, so the issue wasn't that because Desium has $200 price point products as well, and it's got $5 price The same way, actually, Yuoko had $500 products and, and $35 serums. Because it had nothing to do with, uh, let's come up with a Wuha. You know, a, a peptide that was back then $20 million a kilogram is now about $3 million a kilogram. So simply by passage of time, you can offer the same peptide for about 10 times less if you just take the product cost into account. So I, I sold my shares, um, and then um, I, I had a non-compete that I couldn't do anything in skincare that was more than $50 per uh, item. 
So this goes back to some of the patterns that we see with founders, and a lot of them do become serial entrepreneurs. Yeah, once you go rogue, there's no going back. (laughs) Yeah. So after Uoko, Brandon went on to co-found Indeed Labs in 2011, which that's a brand. It's Canadian also. It's most famous for its breakout product, Nanoblur. You guys would have definitely seen these ads. It was like the woman, very real life photography. One half of her face had nano blur on it. The other didn't. It was on every bus shelter mm-hmm. and it just sold. It was so 20 funny bucks. funny you say that because it, the first thing I think of is bus shelter. Oh my God. It was everywhere yeah. and it was 20 bucks and it was one of the very first blurring products that mm-hmm. was marketed as such. And I still like a lot of the Indeed Labs products. They're great too. It was so very it was like in- a light reflecting situation. It was basically like a silicone based product mm-hmm. that just blurred all your pores. Mm-hmm. And so you could put it on and I think they literally had, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a 10-second fix, they said. And it, right. looked, it looked like 10 years younger than 10 seconds or something like that. Mm-hmm. So in this next clip, you're about to hear about Brandon's hustle. Remember in Susan Miller's Gemini description, it was about taking a not-so-great situation and finding a way to kind of rock it out? It's that kind of scrappiness. Had a non-compete in, um, in in basically what they call premium facial anti-aging, which we defined as anything that was over fifty fifty dollars. Um, and the timing had really worked out because all the main technologies had become less expensive, and so that's where Indeed Labs started. Where and, and effectively, we could offer really good technologies for much less, and so you could all the products were significantly less than fifty dollars to avoid the non-compete. Um, that's where um, one of my friends who was actually a we had a really happy friendship, um, except and he had a lot more money than I did. So he became an investor in the company, became partners 50-50, and, um, and business and friendship didn't mix really well. So we didn't, we had a, I had a couple of years there. Um, and, and you know, the thing is, he's actually just a, a really, um, really funny guy, fun guy in many ways, except that when you're, when you're the receive, at the receiving end of all that fun, it just feels very different. And so being in business and being friends didn't work out. Um, so I left, but then I left with a complete non-compete in facial anti-aging, so I couldn't do anything that had to do with facial anti-aging. We asked Brandon if he had a bucket-throwing moment at that job. Yeah, it was actually, it was really funny. It was me um, and actually my colleague, uh, we, were go- we were going to New York to meet a, a group that wanted to do a bunch of things. And, um, and I was driving uh, to, she was leaving from um, the Toronto, uh, the downtown airport, uh, Billy Bishop, and I was from Pearson. And she had already boarded the plane. I was just about to board the plane, and I literally sent a note to everybody saying, well, what? And because I'd received the note from basically um, my, my partner that over a very small issue, and it was just a, you know, the last straw is always a straw. That's the issue with this, is that it's never a big bomb at the end. Um, and I just left. I, I literally, I remember I walked out of the gate. I, I came back in, and I looked for just a next flight somewhere I hadn't been that I could just be peaceful about it, and I boarded the plane. I, I'm really not joking. I, I like I just basically left, and for three months I sat down, reflected, thought, and it, it really just brings back so much about yourself. You learn so much about yourself that ultimately we're all human. So I decided to go all around Mexico, uh, like every village. I mean, you, like tiny villages where nobody would even <laughs> just understand the idea of what not speaking Spanish would mean. Um, and uh, but it was really it was really good because it was just um, uh, it was really peaceful actually. Well, I mean, I wanted to stay in beauty for sure, so I had a whole bunch of different ideas of what do I need to do. And every time I shared these ideas, because you get very confused. Every time I would share my ideas, everyone would always say, like, "Oh, but Brandon, you can't do ten things at the same time." And I just got got so tired of hearing. Um, I, I mean. <laughs> You, you do more than 10 things in a given day as a human. So, um, so I decided to call it decim, basically from decimal, as in, look, I don't know what this is what we're doing, but we're doing, <laughs> as a figure of speech, 10 things at the same time. Uh, and that's, that's where, effectively, the name came from. I wanted to build an infrastructure that would allow me not to fall into any pitfall that I've fallen before, which most of it had to rely on uh, or, or, or was around relying on other parties. You end up just becoming an outsourcer of everything as an entrepreneur. And I wanted to do exactly the opposite. So I wanted to basically just say, look, we're going to bring everything in-house. Um, in the beginning, it doesn't seem to pay off because you say, oh, Jesus, why do I have a full-time chemist? Why do I have a full-time lab? Why do I have a full-time, even our own factory, when you start and you have so little to actually justify it? Um, but it's the best thing I ever did. I mean, today, when I think about it, we've got 19 chemists and two people in marketing. It's, it's almost a joke. Brandon immediately created an infrastructure where he himself would be in control. 
And the challenge was that the terms of his non-compete were now even narrower, where before he had to stay within a certain price range, he now wasn't even allowed to develop anything in the field of facial anti-aging at all for a period of three years. So this non-compete is really going to be a tight spot if you're a man who has not yet fulfilled a mandate that you've set out for yourself, especially when you're a very determined Gemini. How did he work around it? Up next, the story behind Desiem's world-famous hand chemistry cream. The group understanding um, was that we're going to forget that it's a hand cream. Let's first just look at what is the best way to treat the skin that targets really all aspects of what you would worry about, typically in better aging. So don't focus on, oh, it's for spots or, or it's for wrinkles or just put all that aside. If you just wanted to age better and you weren't concerned about where you're going to apply something, where would you, what would you create? And then let's just make sure that it's very hydrating. Um, and we knew it was going to be a hand cream, but ultimately it was only going to be a hand cream because the face was just in, the, in, in sort of a, a contractual territory. Yeah. Um, and that's where it came to be. I was so shocked one day I woke up in the Daily Mail on the front cover of the, 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 the newspaper. It said, should you use your hand cream on your face? And the whole article was on hand chemistry and how random is a non-compete. First of all, that would have cost probably 100,000 pounds and God knows what would happen with it. But, but you couldn't have bought it. Like the, it, it would, it's so obvious when something is written because you paid for it. Hand chemistry was one of those products that rapidly became the number one bestseller in the UK. In some ways, hand chemistry had a mass appeal, like the infamous Boots Number no. 7 serum. You know, I think people really liked that it was sold on a drugstore level. But these days, Brandon is rethinking that strategy, too. I mean, Boots, I've never wanted to be a mass market product. But when you when you start, you have to take opportunistic approach to everything. And so they really supported us. And it was really great. And, and as you know, the people that supported us were what made it because Boots as an organization or really any mammoth organization actually never would support an entrepreneur. We have many of those partners and I can say it very publicly that they've never supported us. It has always been war. Every time I've gone to a meeting, it's been a very unpleasant circumstance of an elephant talking to a mouse saying, I'm going to step on you. And the reality is that you continue doing that until the point that you're in an environment where there are little holes that the mouse can go into and the elephant can't even see. And so we're there now, and then we're actually slowly telling, in fact, we just sent a note to Boots about two, three months ago saying we don't want to have any of our products there, even though we have like four, four brands with them now. Uh, same thing with Chopper's Drive, where we never grow past the hand chemistry, and we're actually pulling that out now, because it just, it's not necessary. You give so much margin, you're constantly being bashed, pushing around, whereas ultimately, the only boss of them, of me, of everybody along the way, all the legal firms, we all have only one boss, and that's the consumer. Balls of steel. Are we, wait, are we allowed to say that? <laughs> are we allowed to say that about think, someone we've interviewed? I think Brandon would be okay with it. <laughs> I, he's pretty. He's pretty upfront. So one thing that I will admit I was a little shy of going into this interview is that there was a point in time when Brandon turned his bluntness to the Canadian media. I'm going to read this little tidbit from the Globe and Mail, dated December 10th, 2015. There's nothing more boring than Canadian media. The British media lick the floor when Desiem has something new. But here, my God, the last time I walked through the Rogers Media building, I said, this is the last time I'm going to either enter or exit this building. It's a great quote. <laughs> I love that it was given to the Globe and Mail. Like, yeah, it's so funny. It is, except that I worked at Rogers <laughs> at the time. Um, and, you know, I will admit it is true that this is a Canadian beauty line that blew up in the UK before it got a lot of recognition here. I mean, people were writing about it, but not to the extent that they were carrying on in the UK. And to be fair, though, this is a phenomenon that happens oh, yeah. across the board. So in fashion, it could be D-squared or Erdem. Like if they were living here, they'd probably have a few less zeros in their bank account For if sure. they worked in Canada. But mm -hmm. and, Or, you know, um, The Weeknd or Drake or mm -hmm. Bieber. It's not until like they're exports. Yeah. Then we were like, okay, we'll give you some props. You know, we're just yeah. not like yeah, that. Exactly. And, okay, let's take a moment and give a little shout out to our some of our favorite Canadian brands. Yeah. Like White Beauty, The Seven Virtues, yeah. Velour Lashes, Mac, goes on and on. 
So I did ask Brandon about this, and, you know, he was actually pretty gracious in his response. He was, he was fair. I think Canadian media is reflective of the Canadian consumer. Nobody will question Canadian lumber or Canadian technology or Canadian machines, or, but nobody would think of, in fact, a few brands that we have, you know, Four Seasons Hotels is a fantastic brand from Canada. I promise you most Canadians and most consumers of Four Seasons don't know that it's a Canadian brand. So, so the reality is when a brand is from Canada, it doesn't matter how amazing I make a watch from Vancouver nobody is going to be excited about a watch from Vancouver because it's not from Geneva. So we had that battle. So you can't blame them because you wouldn't expect it. And, and in a way, it was very difficult because, you know, you would dedicate so much time to try to meet somebody, explain, and then all of a sudden some junior assistant who's not interested in anything starts writing about something else, talking on the phone. And you start thinking that, look, you're wasting everybody's time, you're wasting everybody's life, and it becomes frustrating. And it's not even just the media. I actually, you know, somebody asked me once, uh, you know, who's your biggest enemy in business. And there are really two enemies in, in business when you start. The first enemy is the government because they think they want to support you, but they don't because before you've made a penny, you have to go file so many taxes and so many crap and all the things and then all the regulations and things that are ultimately, they're treating a massive $5 billion international enterprise in the same bucket as somebody who's just trying to figure out how do I make a living? And then the banks. The banks, I mean, look, a business is just like a person. In fact, even to date, we're now grown to almost 150, 160 million a year. And with the bank, I promise you, we have a $20,000 visa with the bank. Because every time I meet somebody, it's the same thing. If you need anything, the bank is never there for you. If you don't need anything, the bank offers you everything that there is. Decium started to really pop off mid-2016 when they launched The Ordinary. I mean, when I'm talking to random people, I don't mean any offense by that word, but I just mean people who are totally outside of the beauty industry. That's the product line that people are asking me about. Yeah. And for the most part, they're just asking, how is it so cheap? I yeah. don't get it. It's yeah. like dollar store prices. A hundred percent. With The Ordinary, you have high concentrations of clinical active ingredients, everything from hyaluronic acid to ferulic acid. A glycolic acid, squalene, the retinoids, vitamin C, on and on and on and on. The list goes. The price, $5.90 Canadian. Mm-hmm. I think it's like four pounds in the UK. This has to be the question that Brandon is asked about the most as well. So without further ado, the origin story behind The Ordinary and how it all is even possible. When we started, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you follow, we had so many people against us. I have never seen this much negativity around the start in my whole life because around the, all the other things, everyone was so positive. But even our own supporters, everybody was like, oh, it's a scam. Oh, you've cut it. Or you're, you're using child labor. You're scamming this. Why do you want to ruin other brands' lives? What? Every single criticism that you can think of came. And, and I, I remember... I, I actually gathered the whole team in a room. Um, back then, we were about 100 people. And, and I remember it was just basically a, a group meeting. And I said, guys, this, the next few months are going to be a really difficult ride. I just want you to take a be- deep breath at every point and just remember kindness is free to give and it's free to take. And it's the most powerful medicine for everything. doesn't matter who says what. doesn't matter what. We're doing the right thing that we think is true. We're not lying to anybody. Just always respond back with kindness. And it really was the most unbelievable because, that, because that, that's, that's how we got here. We got here through kindness because so much passion came in. Um, um, and then slowly, the very, what, what happened was the people who questioned actually became the biggest evangelists. So then they almost went out of their way to, to push it more even and, and, and talk about it. And it's just crazy. If you just look for the word life in the comments, you'll find about... 50 or 60 a week of how The Ordinary has changed someone's life. Now, I, there are many brands that I love in my life that I really, in a way, every time I use the products or I wear the products, I almost feel like I'm connecting to the founder. I have never gone and written a single positive thing, let alone you've changed my life, even though they actually have changed my life. So to, to, to go to that extent is something that we really owe it to them. And, 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 and then what's happened is we haven't even um, tried yet to start you know, figuring out how do we grow it inorganically because the stock we have never, so we, our factory has expanded twice. The shifts, we've introduced an additional shift. We're opening two more factories. We're now working with six additional parties in the interim to support products for us. Um, 
and we're still we have not even caught up yet to just the ordinary course of business and so we, the, the two new accounts that have been launching these are commitments that started eight months ago like Sephora started eight months ago if eight months ago I knew I would be in this position today we probably would delay Sephora so speaking of this crazy demand for the ordinary I wanted to feature the colors which are the new foundations on the Marilyn Dennis show and this was in September of 2017 and Many of our listeners may know I'm one of the experts on the Maryland show, and we were doing a sort of a test drive of these, Mm -hmm. like, you know, sweet spot price point, great Mm -hmm. foundations. And so I gave Mira a call, who is the PR, shout out to Mira, Mm -hmm. and she was like, this sounds great, this sounds incredible. I wanted to highlight the range of shades, so that was very light to very dark, very inclusive. And she was like, I want to send you all of these, but she's like, I literally can't. (laughs) And I was like, well, what can you do for me? Because they're made down the street. And she was like, okay, well, I'll get them to make XYZ shades tonight and we'll (laughs) see what stock I have left in the morning and I'll send you whatever I have. And I was like, okay, great. Because we were- service, Mira. (laughs) Yeah, we were were testing it with some bloggers who had various skin tones. So I wanted to make sure people had their their Mm -hmm. color. You know, when they can't keep stock of really anything and they're getting these wait lists speaks to the phenomena of this brand Mm -hmm. and the niche that it's filling. Colors Mm -hmm. destroyed us because- we thought, oh, it's 42 SKUs, but maybe 10 will do well. And then we got orders across all of them in like, I mean, the first day. So we had a, so we had a waiting list of 25,000 and then it grew to 50,000. Then it grew to 75,000. So we assumed 75,000, probably maybe 10,000 might actually order. And then of that 10,000, let's kind of spread it out roughly how many per skew would that be? When you do that over 42, you don't need to make that much. In fact, one of the biggest advantages of having your own factory is you can make 50 kilos or you can make 1,000 kilos. We got 260-something thousand orders the day it launched from a, from a waiting list of 75. I mean, why wouldn't you go and wait? Like, if you intend to buy it, why wouldn't you at least go on the waiting list? I, and then it was all across. I mean, I, I, I cannot tell you that our lightest shade and our darkest shade are in quantities that we we couldn't even make. And it's just like this constant battle. People have speculated about how this model is sustainable or they've wondered, you know, there's so much expansion, there's so much growth. It's one thing to like come into the market like a lion, but how is this going to make money going forward? They just, no one understands it. Yeah, yeah. So we probed a little and we did ask, we thought maybe it had to do with the fact that they manufacture their own products. You know, they have their own factory. They don't outsource. Um, To our surprise, he had said no, that actually the cost per product is... It was like 10 cents. More. Yeah. The ordinary has a standard margin. The ordinary will never have a bad loss position because to price the ordinary is very simple. We take the product prices, we add a margin, and they arrive at the number. That's the number. So hyaluronic acid... You can get now some of the best quality fermentation drive hyaluronic acid for about $500 a kilogram. So you can do the calculation. 2% of 500 in, in 0.03 because it's that's 30 ml. It ends up costing about 30, 40 cents plus packaging, shipping. You'll see it's got very good margins, much better than most restaurants that work very hard. Because it's, and, and that's what the consumer has paid for that. The consumer effectively doesn't realize that when they say, oh my God, I can't believe this was $8, they don't actually appreciate the fact that it wasn't $8. It was actually more like $15. But they paid the $7 themselves by writing about it so we didn't have to go and spend that money on marketing because that's really where it came down to. The consumer that doesn't want to learn so much about this won't buy it directly, but they will listen to someone who fell in love with the marine one and it felt you know, really good for them. And then they will slowly learn about it. On Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, they are flooded with people trading advice about the ordinary. It's, in, it's incredible. For sure. And obviously, when a brand rockets to stardom like Desiem has, big companies start to take notice. And in 2017, Estee Lauder took on a minority investment in the company. Here, Brandon explains how he was able to loosen the grip on the reins in a way that somehow has brought him a great deal of comfort instead of chaos. We were about to raise money, actually, and we were at the very end of the process. We, we had never raised money from anybody, um, unlike the very beginning where nobody was at the table to want to invest. All of a sudden, everybody, all the conglomerates, um, many private equity firms. And in fact, we were just about to complete a deal with uh, a group called TSG Consumer Partners. 
the documents were all done. Like we were one week away um, after four or five months of due diligence and working together to sign uh, an agreement. And Estee Lauder came to visit us. And, and they were the only one who wasn't at the table. We had everybody else. I didn't think it was going to happen because I, I wasn't particularly a pleasant person because I said, look, I, I'm honored that you're here. And I really was honored. Um, but I don't think our values are aligned. And that, that's what I said, because you're a conglomerate. You're a corporate mentality that would never align with what we're doing. And, and the thing is, I was so, because she came in, she was so polite and peaceful about the whole thing. And I, I didn't know how to basically say that, one, I don't think we're aligned. And two, we're about to sign a deal. So I, I didn't want to say no. It's really good to know you, but we're not going to. Ultimately, I fell in love with Leonard Lauder, and that's where the thing came in. I, I've realized that Estee Lauder is a, is a public company with a soul. And, you know, in, in two weeks, I mean, these deals take six, seven months to do. They brought in, within two, three days, there were 140 people in our data room from six different banking firms and investment firms and, and, and accounting firms and legal firms just to respect the fact that we're already close to signing another deal. They didn't negotiate a single point. They, they accepted that everything was fair. Everything was fair. I mean, we basically came up with very fair terms and went to everybody saying, please don't even waste time one minute because I, I'm not going to skew my decision based on who the partner is, based on what they've offered us, but just based on what they are. And everybody at the beginning thought we were bluffing and, and some people respected it. Um, and they closed, they didn't negotiate the whole thing. They, they have embraced us like a family. They haven't, first of all, they don't have any control of everything, but they actually are supporting us. Like whenever we have, we're looking to hire people in the UK, all of a sudden the HR team is introducing our HR team to a whole group of people. They gave up a couple of employees that they were wanted to hire because we needed them, but they don't need to do this. I mean, the thing that I think someone really needs to look at when you, ultimately every company or anybody makes an investment because they want to have some sort of a path to getting a return on that investment. It's very rare that you would have an investment without a clear path to that. And so when you really reflect on the fact that Estee Lauder doesn't have control, from their perspective, Brandon could just decide, look, I really love this yet. I'm going to do this if I'm around for another 60 years. I'm going to do this for another 60 years. And they could never actually get any return. The company might grow, might become this multi-billion dollar thing on book paper. You can be worth anything. But they may actually never get a penny out of it. So they have made a bet on the fact that I'm a reasonable person, that when it gets to a point that a brand is something that we can't manage or they can do better, that I might work with them to do something where they can do. But it won't be because... In two years, we need to exit. It will be because I can't do it properly anymore. Today, what we're doing, they can't do it properly because we're the mass that's going in the holes. Mm -hmm. But when we start getting out of the holes and it's a big desert, then the mouse is just going to die down the street. Whereas all of a sudden, you need an elephant, whatever, camel in that case. But really, the, the issue is that it was around integrity. Jill, I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's the idea that in business or in life, you start to develop like a superpower. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that you get praised for. It's the thing that brings you awards and successes. And then one day when you rely too heavily on that superpower, it can become your poison. Well, I asked Brandon if he could relate to this. For a long time from when I was a kid, I thought I was a big superpower and I knew everything. And actually, the poison was actually that. Um... Everything makes a lot more sense when you really start to put into context just how small we each are. And, and um, because ultimately, we all forgot that we still don't know why we're here, what is life, what are animals, what we are. We forgot that we were just helping each other and a way to recognize that was just exchanging something that eventually became money. The idea of money and business really goes back to the day where I made some nuts, you found some berries, we exchanged them. It became, we forgot all of that. We're, we're now actually just buying money through public companies. Um, when I forgot all of that, when I just came back to just being a human um, with no superpowers is when it all made sense. And, and, and then I had a much better relationship with why I'm doing anything, who, my, who the team is, who our consumers are. Um, and that I think happened. Um, I actually, I actually think that was when I left Indeed. I think that the, the the time on my own allowed me to really question why do you really do anything, you know? And and that's where it came in. Because the reality is, you know, superpowers, all this. 
look, I have a lot of respect, for example, with, for people like um, you know Elon Musk. I think he sort of somebody could be claimed to have a superpower, but but when you reflect on it, he's he's a person that because look, the idea of going to Mars and colonizing it is a very interesting idea, but we're all ignoring a very simple fact that. There's no oxygen. So, yes, it might work for 20, 30 people, but we're not going to build a human culture moving around with bubbles around the head. We're going to have to die off if we go there, and some other life form might evolve from it. So if you really come down to question all of it, you realize that none of us really have superpowers. We're just explorative people, and, and, and I think we all are as humans. A little behind-the-scenes moment here for you guys. That morning that we interviewed Brandon, both Carlene and myself had listened to the New York Times, the daily podcast, It's How I Start my day every single day. And it happened to be the episode about declassified information about UFOs, that the truth is out there, people. And (laughs) both of us had come into that interview not knowing that the other one had listened to that episode. And And Brandon had read the article. Yeah, my mind was just blown. And then he starts talking about how inconsequential we sort of all are. And we're just humans here for a short amount of time, doing our best. I'm like, yes, yes, that is us. We're just playing a game here, a game of life, (laughs) until global warming does us in. And then we're like joining the dinosaurs. Okay, no need to be a downer. (laughs) God. Anyway. Our next question is from a Desiem Facebook group fan from the chat room. There's like 20,000 people from all over the world. So I posted it in there about what people wanted to know from Brandon. So Trina Payton, we're getting to your question. And Trina asks, why isn't there more assistance from Desiem? to help you work out a routine and sample packs that you can buy. At this point, I would pay for that. This Facebook page is nice, but let's face it, we're not chemists. And I feel you need to be one to get a customized routine. That's really fair. So let's hear what Brandon's response was. Right. So all of that is coming. So um, I I can basically tell you um, the, the program for having consultations online that you actually book. So you have to book in advance, both online and in store, was supposed to come out in October. Um, but with the growth, it's not just the manufacturing that has to pick up. What happens is our training team that was training everyone who was joining also fell behind because the number of people that are in customer service kept growing. So we kept trying to catch up with people who were just asking basic questions. or uh, And that is ultimately what's backlogging that. So that's going to come. The other thing that's going to come, which is one of my favorite things, is... Um, uh, we're developing this basically tool that allows you to get as simple or as complicated. So you can basically come in and say, look, I don't want any gibberish science. Just tell me this, 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 what should I use? And it will give you suggestions. This is where I want fast results. Money isn't, doesn't matter. Uh, this is fast results. Money matters. Or I want mainly to be focused on longevity and, and what do you recommend? And it will basically cross-recommend across the brands. Or you can say, I want very detailed these are the products I'm currently using. If we don't have the ingredient list database, you can actually copy that from Google and paste it into the thing and say, this is what it has. But then it also builds the database. And it will then really come down into this and this are not compatible. Maybe you should consider using this. So it allows you to go from either spectrum. So that's in development, which is where my computer science background is paying off a little bit. Um, and then we're going to have, so we're, we're, um, we're creating a lot of um, YouTube videos as well. So that actually is launching with Sephora. So we decided to do one set called the no-brainer set, which is launching with them, which is basically, it's just the ones that pretty much everybody would benefit from. And of course, in addition to launching on Sephora.com, there are plans for mega expansions of their bricks and mortar stores, which are so fun. If you guys have an opportunity to go into them, Mm -hmm. they're just like play spaces. They really try to bring that humor into Mm -hmm. even the signage. You're you're not even sure. It doesn't, does not say Dessiem on the front. Yeah. Um, so they have 18 stores currently. There are 19 more under construction. They are going to be focusing on New York and then Vancouver, Chicago, and LA. They're not stopping with just the Dessiem stores. I read a, about a sneaky fragrance project coming down the pike that will also have standalone stores. It's called Avistan, and this addition to the Dessiem family will include fragrance, scented candles, and body lotions. Here's Here's what Brandon revealed about that next venture. I've had a, a personal project which uh, is under the group, but it's not. It's not going to be sold in Desiem uh, stores because fragrance is just a journey. There's no nobody needs a fragrance. Desiem is a very need-driven brand or function-driven brand. I love fragrance so much that I, I it just it, it's to me it is the most powerful sense we have, and we just don't realize it. Um, and 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 yeah, so that 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 is um, that is coming. So that that actually we're opening uh, two stores next month and one. So that's in London, New York, and Amsterdam. 
which is just a just standalone fragrance stores. My biggest wow moments of smelling something is when there's no connection to the past. There is like you're actually smelling something so new. Um, we're looking for a local printer in the UK to print some last minute documents. And usually it's all very hyper machines and so on. And this printer said, look, I can do it today. I'm the only one that I can do it like now. You should have just seen it is. It's like this old building, but you walk in, there's the smell of the wood, the ink, the paper. And it's like, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, you would not even want to be around those things, but it smells unbelievable. It's, just, it's the smell of somebody making a beautiful life out of this. Experiences that to me um, were not, uh, not what would expect a fragrance to be. Because when you talk to perfumers, they tell you that a fragrance connects you to um, something that you connect with in the past. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what dictates what you like or what you don't like about a fragrance. Well, I mean, I love perfumers, but there are two things that I don't agree with in that explanation. One is that we all come to this world as a baby. And obviously we choose to like and not like things at an early age. And that slowly evolves into our other formation of other thoughts around fragrance. So there, obviously there is a little bit more to it than just simply experiences in the past, unless maybe they're really right. And that actually we have come back to this planet many times. And this is all relating back to before that. But we don't know that. Three businesses down, one massive success story. We asked Brandon, what's the best business advice he's received along the way? The longest distance between point A and B is a shortcut. Um, that has meant a lot to me always because, because I was always looking for the shortcut to show that I'm the smart ahead of everybody. And I, it's like running on a treadmill. Nobody's ahead of anybody. When you take a shortcut, you miss, even if you manage to make it, because sometimes you do, you miss the whole reason of what we're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, but in business particularly, babies need to take baby steps. And a business that starts is a baby. Nobody wants a three-month-old baby winning a marathon. It, it, it actually makes you question them. Thanks for tuning in. Visit breakingbeauty.ca to sign up for our newsletter and every episode will be delivered direct to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And be sure to subscribe to us. There's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast fix. And if you're up for it, show your love by writing a review in iTunes.